This podcast is brought to you by Ideate and Execute. Do you want to drive innovation in your organization, futurize your enterprise, ideate massively valuable new products, or execute them to market? Then contact us today at ideateandexecute.com and get started. Why listen to the past when you can listen to the future? Welcome to the Think Future Podcast, broadcasting from deep in the heart of Silicon Valley, California. We focus on innovation, startups, and the future, not necessarily those and not necessarily in that order. Here's your host. Hey, Chris. Hey, Tim. How's it going? Good, sir. Nice to meet you. Good to meet you, too. Wow. You have a very nice studio there. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. Um, So... Yeah, we, uh, you know, the pandemic of everything that's occurred and uh, working from home, we started that process pretty early and and happened to have a little music studio. I have two young girls, 11 and 14, that we uh, we do all sorts of fun little musical things together and it's just kind of a room for us to pretend and be creative and have all sorts of fun. So, yeah. Fantastic. Look at that. I mean, you've got, you've got everything there. You've got the got, you got a piano, yeah. guitars, you got uh, got a couch. I love it. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot of fun. And it's super uh, quiet, um, soundproof a little bit. So I actually worked really well to put the desk here and and uh, work through. And it works really good for Zoom calls because Zoom fatigue really comes from um, audio or audio, yeah. in my opinion. So getting a, uh, a high quality sort of bookshelf speaker and then sending using this mic to send some mm-hmm. uh, some better high higher quality yeah. um, audio back really helps a lot. So yeah, that's a pretty I, I spend, badass mic. I've got one of those. I've got one of these uh, blue microphones for sure. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's not bad. It's good. It's not as not as as good as yours. I mean, are you, so are you your musician that you do that uh, for fun or? Yeah, just uh, it's um, uh, call it a mu- a cl- closet musician maybe just <laughs> you know just just enjoy. I can play all this stuff but never really tried to make a career out of it it's just been a real strong hobby and honestly it's a little bit of therapy too because you know it's just kind of it's a good unwinding i sometimes i just grab a guitar strum on a little bit in between music uh, meetings if i have a few meetings a little pace just to kind of mental break so yeah yeah very cool very cool well my oldest is a musician he's a pianist and uh, it's a tough life <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, but I'm sure uh, I never had the passion to really take it, other than a hobby. And I just like to noodle and play a few songs. But yeah, it's tough business. Very yeah. tough business. Yeah. It's, it's funny because you know people enjoy music so much and they get so much out of it. It's just it seems like there's some kind of weird disconnect between uh, the value that we get out of music and how much we're willing to pay for music. It's like if if those were mm. a little more equal, then you know that's interesting. Yeah. And I, I've never taken that, that lens before. So I'm sure it's, it's gotta be hard. The the term starving musician, I guess, is there for a reason, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Really yeah. Interesting. Awesome. So, so let's go a little, um, tell me a little about yourself and your organization and what you're passionate about. We'll go from there. Yeah. Um, so my background, um, I've been lucky enough to be with Choice, uh, Choice Financial Group is the legal entity 
um, been lucky enough to be with them for 17 years. Wow. Uh, yeah. And kind of was a consultant, right. Kind of out of college. And so was able to, uh, choice is one of our customers and we, I was a pure uh, it specialist, if you will. Mm-hmm. And choice was one of our customers, like I was saying, and kind of really, there was a good fit there. I loved working with the choice team, what they were all about. So we ended up, you know, making it permanent and I was the chief technology officer, but it was really just the first full IT person that they had in the organization and did everything from take help desk calls to set up the network to uh, everything in between. And I think what I learned through that process, the first few years was got a chance to really start to understand the business through the lens of technology Mm -hmm. and a very curious person. So I was, was asking a bunch of questions. Well, I'm curious about this. And, and so that grew to kind of an operational lead and was able to uh, take some, some operational leadership. And then that grew to other, I mean, it's, I've gotten to bounce all over the organization, uh, largely been behind the scenes work, uh, optimizing internal employee processes and and trying to learn the business through the way. Um, last four or five years, it's been more of a, how can we take the behind the scenes work that talented you know, industry people are doing and make them sort of the future of the organization. So we've, we've gotten really into the FinTech side of things here um, as a business and we're leading, I'm leading the effort of, of turning that into revenue for the organization. And so we're, we're kind of in the, the banking as a service model. We offer that out to, to customers and we have a nice, a great list of partners that we're working with globally. And, and uh, it's been a lot of fun taking software technology and, and, and really the world's changed so much. We can certainly go down that rabbit hole anytime, but it's uh it's fastly changing. It's a rapid FinTech disruptor sort of kind of process. And, and so we, you know, we got, uh, we got involved in it earlier. It was really a, uh, start out of frustration mm-hmm. for me personally. I think I was overseeing marketing and and to figure out well how we could differentiate our brand anyway here. And you know we're a we're a strong community bank, regional bank in the Midwest, based out of North Dakota. Um, we have presence you know traditionally all over North Dakota and into Minnesota, but we've been um, in the HSA business, having customers in all 50 states. So we were pretty comfortable with thinking bigger anyway. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, I got invited to be an advisor for the software company that we're using as a bank to run the bank. Nice. Uh, super fun. Go there at, at, you know, share your ideas, thoughts. But I stopped going to the meetings just simply because the pace was so slow. I couldn't, you know, you could share an idea and then their roadmap based off the pace that they operated at was three to five years before you'd see anything right. really come into fruition. And and I just sort of thought, man, we just, that's kind of a waste of my time. It's kind of a waste of my organization's time. That's, you know, paying me my, my salary. So I took a call from a company out of Silicon Valley because of our HSA history. And, uh, 
they were a strong idea company. They, I always say they had an idea and a whiteboard and we provided the whiteboard basically. And they came to see us. We, uh, we put something together. I, at the time was hiring someone out of city group out of Jacksonville, Florida. Oh, yeah. Kind of was, yeah. I was kind of seeing this. So the timing was really good. And he had a complete new plate. And I said, well, you got your first assignment, right? Your first project is to figure out how we're going to integrate this into our banking software. And, mm. and in three months they were going through Y Combinator, the, the partner. Oh, nice. And we had a working debit card and with their logo on it in three months. I mean, it was incredible. Wow. See, that's now that's the kind of move the speed you should be moving at. I mean, most finance yeah. companies are like, it's like you, when you're, you're telling me that that years, when I hear the word years, I'm thinking, Oh my God, <laughs> are you living in the 21st century? <laughs> like we can't do anything in years. It's almost impossible. So, so are you guys, how long have you been around? I mean, and you've been a, you're a small bank, so you can be more nimble than a typical financial services company. Well, it's an interesting journey. Um, we've been around since 2001. It was three community banks independently becoming one. Let's, mm -hmm. let's combine the assets and let's become one. So Choice Financial Group was born in 2001. Uh, first 15 years of the journey, maybe maybe 13 years were organic growth. Um, de novo, go into a market, do the traditional brick and mortar. Yeah. You know, and it back then, it's how it all worked, right? right? Yeah. And so then we got into the acquisitional sort of playbook and started um, becoming a good partner for acquisitions. And mm -hmm. really our strength there was to find organizations that maybe needed a little bit of help in terms of growth and maybe partnering was better than trying to grow it themselves. That makes sense. So we became a partner there. Really proud of the fact that we never laid anybody off in three acquisitions. We always absorbed it. And so that was a nice reputational piece to, to the growth of the fact that, Hey, we'll have a job for you here and may not be exactly what you're doing, but it's really important for us to make sure that we're a great partner in that case. Not a lot of banks can say that anymore. Right. I mean, look at yeah. what's happening with Wells Fargo and some of those other banks. It's just, things are different, <laughs> very different. They are exactly. And so to your question, what makes us, you know, allows us to do this? What, what, um, I heard nimble, right? I heard uh, what, are we smaller? Or are we nimble? I think that's part of it. Um, I don't think we should be ignoring the fact that the teams that we have and the, we have a pretty strong entrepreneurial background. All of us really do is, um, so we, yeah, honestly, I, it was just more, Hey, I'm frustrated at the pace and I have this idea. I want to go try this. Let's take a, Let's take sort of a startup mentality. Um, we were a two-person shop for quite some time. Um, I had a ton of other responsibilities that I was also accountable to. And, and it wasn't until two years ago when we, we as an organization said, let's just go, let's go have you focus on this. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, we had enough momentum behind us. We just needed better clarity and optics into the business unit that we were trying to produce to the point where, you know, we made a business case and it's not like you had to shout it from the rooftops. It was the, the growth was happening. We had the partnerships in place. Uh, it was more just, how do you measure it? How do you 
how do you um, provide the clarity internally to show that it uh, that it is a sustainable sort of path forward? And so we created a new brand called Choice Fin for fintech, just a wordplay, really new right. entity there. Um, so two brands with one balance sheet, and we're running Choice Fin independently of Choice Bank, but there's obviously shared resources and 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 teams that are helping it all get done, but it's it's been a it's been a really good test in terms of just getting people's you gotta do it at the right pace the right buy-in the right you know from all levels of the organization so uh pretty cool pretty cool to be able yeah, to yes so i have a question yeah. i have a question on that so like so is it because you were small is that why you're able to get leadership to help you move forward quickly because in a lot of these other financial institutions it's like okay we, we got to move slow we have all these roadblocks in our way. We have compliance issues. We have privacy issues. We have XXXX issues. We have to, it takes us 18 months to do anything. Is it because you're small or is your, was your leadership more open-minded? What, what was the secret sauce that allowed you to innovate quickly? I, it's, a good, it's a great question. I, I think I would answer that we took a risk on a partner and the partner took a risk on us and a chance to say, I have built in product demand. I have a customer willing to pay us for our services. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't an initial like idea as much as it was, Hey, we're, we, we're going to do this. Um, we have the partner already lined up. They want to do it with us and, and we're going to go ahead and try this. Right. And, so the opportunity came along and uh, you, you jumped at it because most would most companies say, no, that's too risky for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, it might be, um, mm -hmm. I guess we didn't necessarily, I had the necessary buy-in at the time cause it wasn't this massive overhaul, right? It was, let's start small. Let's, and then let's see if we can have something that's at least minimal viable product. I guess we took the lesson from maybe maybe your my answer to you, Chris, which I'm not really answering very well because I've never really been asked it that way. Okay. Um, is we just felt let's just take the startup mentality and try this and let's see if we can't find something that might be the future of banking. And that's honestly how strong we feel the belief is of this is this could be absolutely what banking as a whole industry might end up having to, especially if you're a smaller and when I say smaller under 10 billion, um, I think that's the advantage we have through Frank Dodd and all the changes, the regulation there. We have a, we have a competitive advantage there for now. Um, and revenue is through interchange is definitely one of the models of revenue that we use. It's, um, I think we just did it. We didn't really try to sell it. We just did it. We did one as a, as a leadership team, executive mm -hmm. team. Then we went to the board, showed kind of what we're doing. That looks a little bit different. Of course, it's going to be, I didn't have the overwhelming resounding resources or support to necessarily go all in on this. So we just, we just did it in a methodical careful risk-based approach, I guess, you know, we, our first one was an HSA. We didn't go sign a company that we didn't know or, or a customer that we weren't trying to serve ourselves. It was an HSA customer. We were pretty comfortable with that. So 
hey, it's not scaling very fast. So let's try to do this and scale the business and, and mm-hmm. do it faster that way. So it really is an interesting partnership because if you look at it, a fintech company is really, really good at understanding who their customer is. They do a, a fantastic job of focusing on experience for their customer through digital resources. And then we get to do all the, the things that quite frankly, I'm not sure they want to do like, it's the regulatory relationships, the oversight, all the Um, boring stuff. That's not really interesting to, it's not the fun (laughs) stuff, but it's the absolute necessary thing. And that's why the partnership partnership model works really well because it allows each organization to do what they really do best. And really it was a mentality for us that now, well, we don't necessarily have to have just one pie. We can have multiple pies, multiple partnerships, and um, maybe our services are a small piece of each pie as opposed to trying to you know, create an entire pie on our own. I don't know. I'm an analogy guy, so that's why I, uh, I tend to think of it that way right now. And you're making me hungry, so that's good. Uh, <laughs> we're talking about so you you so did you is the partner you're talking about? Did you find a partner, or did you spin off? Like you said, you there's a fintech side of your company, and there's a there's a financial services side of your company. Did the spin, fintech was a spinoff, or did you absorb somebody? How did how did that work? Uh, spinoff. So we ended okay. up at you know we were going about it methodically for three years and then we thought hey if we can't you know we have to have our own PL I want to I want to make this a let's and our CEO at the time still very much today was I think the first challenge is let's go show that we can make this a business. Yeah. And then then we can go into all sorts of other directions. But let's first make sure we can show that this is a proving as fast as long as you can in a very rapid changing industry let's make this something that is sustainable as long as as much as we can and so you know one partner grew to two it's word of mouth industry two partners Mm -hmm. grew to four four grew into six and uh now we have partners that are um i was just really humbled by it that our word of mouth of kind of what we're trying to do and serve serve those those partners that's what we really think of it is hey we really like your idea we really like your product market fit let's go ahead and do the partnership because I think what you have is different than what others are not seeing. And so let's go help enable that. Um, so yes, spinoff. Yes. It really was at that point. Um, I felt a lot of resistance. Well, should we be doing this? Is this risky? Uh, man, I don't know if this is for us. Right. And, you know, how do we really even know because we're not measuring this? And so, you know, I kind of just said, well, then let's go. Um, I studied S-curves. I don't know if you're familiar with an S-curve, but an S-curve is a natural progression of any idea. Mm-hmm. It starts off, it gets gains traction, and then it kind of flattens out, maybe even falls. Yep. And so I was trying to disrupt our own S-curve of traditional banking and for me, it was the light bulb moment. Well, let's just go start a new one as opposed to trying to put all this effort into disrupting our own model. Let's go create a new one. We'll go out on an island for a while and we'll figure this out. And so that was really, our timing was the end of 2019 into 2020 when we started doing that. And now all of a sudden you're getting more optics and more visibility into 
is it really working? Is it not from a financial perspective? Um, added a couple more resources and 2020 was a really interesting year for many different reasons, but in the world of FinTech um, collectively, it's just exploding. Right. And yeah. in, in software is eating the world. It's just taking over. Yeah. So and would you say that, um, so yeah. do you, what kind of uh, unique things do you, are you able to deliver through uh, choice fin that you weren't able to do before? Well, choice fin allowed us, we started building our own software interface le le level. So, um, really what we found in the niche. And again, I just think that the way we went about it is listen to our partner. What do you need? We'll go build it. Next partner comes. What do you need? We'll go build it. Yeah. Um, and so through that process, you start seeing, well, Hey, there's some repeatable tasks and processes here, but what we have done is we've created our own software layer that interfaces with our FinTech partners in a way that's modern and mm -hmm. then has to go, back and interface into systems that is not modern. And I'll just say it that way. I mean, it's very, right. very legacy. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so we have this sort of, yeah, we've gotten pretty good about listening to our, to our partners and then uh, being able to, to make it happen in a way that's today's tech, not, not, you know, 1980s where most right. of this. Stuff so is. underneath it all, there might be some of that, but you built this really easy to use modern layer on top of that, that, that allows them to use your kind of services yeah, yep. a lot more effortlessly right. in, a, in a more modern way. So, so if I'm a software developer, you're, you've, you've basically created a platform and you've published that platform to these other vendors who can come along and build whatever they want on top of it. Correct. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. So would you say that, um, tell me a little bit about how the, like, the, how does innovation sort of start within your organization? Do, do you do like grassroots? Does your, does your leadership say, Hey, this is what we're going to do next. Or, I mean, do you do a lot of design thinking? Do you do customer workshops? How do you, how do you find the next big thing that you guys are going to work on? I don't think we have a real strong answer there. We have, we're a pretty good idea company. It's mm -hmm. a matter of testing those ideas and list in combination with listening to what the market is, is wanting. And for us in this space today, when we have partners serving their audience or their customers, they are doing their product testing and listening to their customers, which then in turn, it's a B2B play for us in essence that they're doing product market fit to what their customers are looking for. Um, and then, well, what systems do we need to be able to, to make work? Um, you know, the simplest way I could put it is in two forms. We're not really reinventing banking. We're just changing the delivery model and recognizing that the delivery is changing. You know, um, does it have to be your brand that delivers the ACH file or can you partner with another company be in the packing and shipping industry of digital, you know, data really is what we're doing. Yeah. And, and then be proud that you're serving this other organization that ultimately is the brand to the customer. And that's yeah. really what we got comfortable with. So um, it's a combination of, Hey, we're thinking of this, how does this, you know, strategically fit with our partners? Um, a lot of the times it's us kind of listening, you know, they're the innovation 
they're the innovation ideas more so than we are, but we like to have the partnership back and forth. So um, a lot of our innovation just comes from honestly listening, which mm -hmm. there's, there's two trains of thought on that, but typically it works best when you listen, I guess, to the right audience. How would you say, so it sounds like basically you've taken like a, a vertical, like a vertical where the bank is like, oh, here's the front end and the back in the middle layer and the back end. That was basically typical monolithic bank. And you've basically split it up. So somebody else can be the front end. You could be the middle layer or the back end or whatever. And it's like, even though you're not facing your brand to the world, you're still, you know, taking a piece of the piece of the action behind mm -hmm. all that. And you're letting other people's hand, other people handling that piece. That's accurate. Yep. That's a hundred percent what we're, what we're all about. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. And again, we're not saying yes to every program. We really find, we tend to work best with companies that are really serving a greater purpose. Mm -hmm. um, if you look at some of our partners really were pioneering the early, early payday. So their goal was to see if they could, allow their customer base to get paid on a Wednesday instead of Friday. Right. Um, and I know that's becoming a little bit more common now, uh, but that was pretty early when, when we were doing that with them and, and to their credit, they saw a need. Um, we work collectively to try to make that happen. It's, you know, both, it takes both to make it happen. Mm -hmm. um, it was our part of our, our solutions that we're able to do it. So um, no, but it's really cool to be able to do something that innovative, right? Especially at a time where no one was really doing it. So yeah. well, what do you yeah. think of these um, initiatives to try and do a daily payday where they just basically split everything up and then you just get dropped? I think McDonald's is, is, is testing yeah. that. Have you, have you heard about that? What, what, yes. what do you thought there? Yeah. Well, I even heard of a company, I had conversations a few years ago. They were, they were on this too, where, um, shift working or uh, restaurants where you have people in and out where not only could you have an app base where, Hey, here's some hours and whoever wants to work, it can work it. And it was sort of this, whatever works for me, sort of you know, kind of uh, self-serving working hours. It was really incredible. And mm -hmm. then when you're done, you were paid instantly. Yeah. Like that, you know, and, and, you know, I think the world's going to go that way because why hold it? Why this, you know, why does it take so long when a, we're nearing the world of, I want it now and I push a button and I get it instantly. That's going to influence other industries to that same standard. So I'm a Netflix user and I see a movie and I just tap my button on my phone and I have instant gratification. That's right. We've now set the bar for other industries to be able to deliver that too. And really, when you think about it, money is, is, it's invisible. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it, it can be converted to paper currency, but it's not as if banking is in this world of um, delivering physical products and services. Right. And well, especially know, nowadays when, yeah. you know, everything's contactless and, you know, everything is completely different now. I mean, have you found that I, I find that the, these, these, these sort of crises have really caused a lot of disruption to actually push things forward. So things that were going to take a while to roll through are now accelerating. So what are you seeing as the, as the big changes in banking due to, due to COVID and pandemics? Well, I think 
the obvious is adoption of using the products and services that were there first and foremost. Mm -hmm. I mean, mobile banking, remote deposit, take a picture of your check, send it to the bank, as opposed to going physically there have always, those have been there for, you tell me five years, at least maybe longer, you know, whatever the data is, it escapes me, but the, the resistance of using it was always there for people that, well, I'm just in this habit. I, I prefer to go see the person and physically hand the check. Well, now you have an outside reason to, to not go there. That that's mm-hmm. truly whether you want, whatever, if you, if you're strong about, if you have, uh, if you have reasons that you do not want to be there in public, going into a branch during that time. And I think that time is going to continue, you know, behavior shifts are really, it's long enough of a behavior shift where it's going to be permanent. Yeah. And so it's no longer just a convenience. It's kind of turned into a necessity and the rapid, the acceleration of adoption is really what's incredible through mm-hmm. this process. So you have, I think, adoption of existing technology which then gets people more comfortable to look at newer technology and getting even more uh adaptable to that so i I just think the acceleration through covid has really been transformational in terms of just understanding that getting people comfortable using technology where maybe they were resistant you're always gonna have your early adopters and this this is pushing everybody to the point where do you think yeah. Do you think we'll ever get to the point where banking is fully remote? Like you'll never, because I mean, there's still situations where you've got to do a loan application, you do mortgage applications. There's, there's still situations or notaries, for example, still situations where you need to be face-to-face with somebody. Do you think we'll ever get to the point where you can actually do, you know, authentication and security and all these things without actually being in the same room? I think we're already there, to be honest. So really, um, yeah, <laughs> it's probably I more think, secure now well, doing than it is in person. You know, I think that, you're asking an interesting question there. Um, I think if the mindset would be there, it, we we could solve that. I mean, I think if there is not companies already thinking about solving some of those face-to-face have-tos to do we really need to, to why don't we just digitize that process as well? Then yeah, I mean, mortgages are going digital. It's more the the title companies that maybe need to take that next step. And mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I've, I refinanced my home and buying a cabin here and I know I'm going to be sitting, well, at least that's the way it was six months ago. You sit in the driving in the parking lot, your car's running and they hand you the papers and you sign them in your car and you, here you go. You know, that process will then lead to a different process, which someone's going to figure out how to digitize that process. So I think this is face to face now. I think that uh, this isn't necessarily in person, but it's as close to in person as we're going to get. And I actually, in some ways, think that this is maybe even as or more effective as in person. Um, I don't check my phone as regularly when I'm on a Zoom call. I, it's more respectful to to yeah. keep the person in front of you and keep your attention to them. Uh, for whatever reason, when I'm in person, I have this sort of reluctancy to check phones and be more distracted when I'm actually in person. So kind of interesting. There's kind of two forms of ourselves, isn't there? There's this physical 
And then there's this digital version of ourselves and well, they're, it's really they're interesting you say that yeah, because it's yeah. almost like it's almost like there's a different level of intimacy when you're doing it through a connection. Like you know how it's like on, on the internet, people will say things to each other on the internet they would never say <laughs> to right. each other face to face. It's almost like you know a lot of the filters are gone or, or or at least minimized, and you do actually probably have a much more honest conversation with somebody through this than you would in person because you're like, oh, is this guy gonna like hit me or something, or I don't know what mm -hmm. kind of reaction they're going to have. But you know what I'm saying is like, it's like this, this, this interface has allowed us to be, I think, more real with each other almost. Authentic, right? Yeah. yeah. And, may, and maybe part of that is because there isn't this two versions of ourselves. You know, there isn't a work version of you or a, or a personal life version of you. It's, we've been forced into the combined view. Yep. And I have found more vulnerable, more authentic conversations through this process than I've, than I've had in the traditional work world. Mm -hmm. um, I've had barking dog interruptions and kids walking in the background. And, you know, at first it was a little, everyone was apologetic to it. And now, just, I mean, we, <laughs> we've got one guy who's got this precious little guy and he's climbing all over him and that's okay. <laughs> cool. You know, it's just no problem. I've had my dogs do a, uh, uh, a barking session with an, with the other dogs that the other person I was talking to. So I was like, are our dogs talking to each other? Are they actually doing their own zoom call? Now? The dogs was, are having their own zoom call. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, all these sort of real authentic moments have happened. And I think it was a time when we were all very vulnerable, right. In terms of what the world looked like. I mean, a year ago, it was pretty scary. I mean, we're almost approaching one year since it really became, what it, what it is today and um, yeah. even a little bit worse there. Right. So, um, you know, you always have to look at the opportunity within and it's hard for, I mean, right. There's always an opportunity and it may not be the greatest opportunity, but it is something there. And I think the people that have, are figuring it out are the ones that are making it work, right. They're working around situations. They're, they're maybe pivoting or accelerating their business plans to digital faster than they maybe planned yeah. a year ago. Um, I like when I see really creative, you know, here in North Dakota, we have restaurants and there for a while it was, uh, it was not, it, was it a shutdown? I think there was some shutdown. Every state was a little bit handled differently. Mm -hmm. So they did these like igloos, you know, like they were just like plastic igloos and they put oh, cool. tables outside and heated them and it was super fun. But you know, here you've got, here you've got individuals that are owning restaurants and trying to find ways to, to wake it, make it work. And that was, you know, you, you can't, you can't, but not embrace that if that makes sense. Yeah. And, oh yeah, no, you're right. I think, I think yeah. basically everything is, is going to virtualize or digitize. I mean, you're going to have, I mean, what's going to happen to these restaurants, these these experienced restaurants, right? That are high end, you know, come in here, there's nice music, the servers are nice, you know, get high end food. How are you going to translate that? And, you know, the, some of the innovations have come out of that. You know, we were going to ship the whole thing to you, you know, and have somebody, yeah. you know, just ship the whole experience. So it's interesting that you're going to see all of these 
innovative new things coming out of it, but it really is virtualization of these businesses that were never virtualized before. Because if you're just selling stuff online, um, you know, you can easily, I mean, this hasn't affected you at all, but uh, I mean, all of these, you know, personal services and, and experience services, they definitely have to change, but some of yeah. those even change for the better. I right? agree. I, I had yeah. one that was just, uh, as you were describing that one that stood out, my wife said, Hey, there's this wine tasting slash meal kit that a local company here in, in, my, in our hometown came up with this concept. I'm like, that sounds kind of cool. How will yeah. we, well, it's a zoom call. I'm like, Oh, let's do it. You know, I'm so used to doing zoom all day. Let's try it. So you run, you get your kit, two bottles of wine. I didn't know what to expect. It was really fun. Um, I had a rep from the vineyard that was talking about, you know, where, how long the vineyards have been there and, and where they're located and, and how this one paired up nicely with the food we were eating. And, and I don't know if I would have asked the questions that I asked. You know, I was like, Hey, can you, can you help me understand? <laughs> like, <laughs> How am I supposed to honestly drink the wine? Am I supposed to let it go all over? Am I supposed to isolate it? Right. Everyone was starting to ask, you know, it wasn't even really about the specific wine. It was just these questions about just wine enthusiast sharing kind of thought. It was really fun. And so mm-hmm. to your point, the companies that are looking, looking for those opportunities are, 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 that that's what it's going to, that's what it's going to take to transform and continue. And maybe what got you to a certain point isn't always going to be what continues to kind of move it forward. And you can take the principles and the values, hopefully principles, values, missions, visions, all those things. If they're done well, they should never change. It's just, how are we going to deliver that experience differently? If our experience is to deliver this, then how are we going to do that through this channel? You know, it's the block. The ideal thing is if we started basically just eliminating any kind of travel for like essential travel for, for work. Right. And all that, the only time you traveled was if you wanted to do it for enjoyment, right. If you wanted to, mm-hmm. you know, see some, see it, see a show or whatever, whatever, if we could just eliminate the whole commuting concept where somebody has to like go from point A to point B to do their, to do their work. I think that would be a huge thing because, I mean, I did a study, I'm doing the um, Stanford MBA program. And one of the projects we had was, you know, what's, how are things going to change in the work from anywhere world? And we could only find one negative thing was if you're not in the office, you might not get a serendipitous project thrown, a, thrown at you because you didn't overhear it. Right. But every other, op- and, but that's only if, if, if there's some people in the office and there's some people aren't in the office, but if everybody's out of the office, then even that goes away. So the, the, the elimination of something like commuting, which is like one of the worst things we can do to human pe- humans <laughs> is just a huge boon for, for everything else. So mm-hmm. it would be great if we could just have, you know, any kind of travel that we do is really just for pleasure and not for business. Yeah. And that way, you know, if we could just, you know, make travel a pleasure thing only, I think that would be like a great thing that would, come, would have come out of this. That's a great concept that you can really think about just all the positive effects, even from an environmental perspective, that many exactly. you know, vehicles on the road. And, you know, you started hearing that right early, mm-hmm. if I recall, at certain cities that used to have a particular fog or that kind of went away. Right. And, and so yeah. um, man, that's an interesting concept. Have you found, 
yeah because then it's um still think humans need to see and touch and embrace and oh physically. yeah they can do it they can do it for fun instead of yeah. having to being forced to do it and i think that's the thing is that in work has become it used to be really monolithic it's like leisure commute work leisure yeah. <laughs> or, and then commute again right and now it's like work leisure work leisure work leisure work leisure work leisure and we don't have to worry about especially around here i mean i'm, I'm in silicon valley people used to have two-hour commutes each way so yeah. you'd spend four hours a day sitting in a car I mean, it would, it would destroy marriages. It would destroy families. It would, you know, destroy people's health. And now we're, we're, you know, using that time more constructively to improve ourselves. So it's a good thing. Yeah. There's, I think there's more good than, than bad coming out of it for sure. Um, I wonder. Yeah. I, I have, I have really embraced, you know, for me and and our customer base, we're all over the nation. We have customers and partnerships in New York and uh, Silicon Valley, um, one in Salt Lake city and some across the globe in Sydney, Australia. And, and I got real comfortable with this. I mean, we were doing periodic traveling, Mm -hmm. never really significant or exclusive traveling. And we got very comfortable leaving the office because it was like, well, I almost felt guilty <laughs> sitting in my office doing Zoom calls all day when all I was doing is waving to a handful of people. Right? Yeah. I might well let someone who, whose experience is more in person today and let them use that space. So we embraced it pretty quickly. It also, if I may, allowed us to go find talent that typically we maybe wouldn't have been comfortable to go hire. Mm-hmm. So I've got three team members now out of Seattle that I was personally comfortable hiring them at the time. I would have hired them anyway, Mm -hmm. but it would have been a very, uh, it would have been a tougher sort of business proposition to make the case that that person can be effective uh, remotely, if that makes sense. Now it's, I used to tell the coworker, and this is back in the older model, that you're trying to only manage number one draft picks. You just want to work with number one draft picks all the time. And and as a manager or a leader, you have to find and take the fifth or seventh round draft pick and groom that person into, you know, or a second or a third round draft pick. And I still think that's somewhat true, but now I, I can go find wherever you're at. If you're a first round draft pick, you want to come work with the team and you like the culture, then come on in, let's do this, you know? And yeah. And so now it's like, well, now the rules have changed. Now we can just go get top talent no matter where you're at. Because yeah, we have exactly. this new thing of how to, how to make it work. It's yeah. Really and you have to worry about it. And it's, it's people who, and they have to live in these, used to have to live in these expensive areas to be near the jobs. And now you can live anywhere you want and still be able to work for anybody you want. And I think that's, yeah. that's a major breakthrough for, for, for a lot of, especially from a talent side. Because if you think about the, how it's basically exploded the talent marketplace now, because you can, you can hire anybody from anywhere. Mm-hmm. And, and if somebody wants to live somewhere in the middle of nowhere where it's inexpensive, they can live there and still work for Google, right? Correct. Yeah. And I think there's been studies that people are working longer, more, more, they're putting more effort into the home workplace and putting more yep. time in because it is to your point, it's in, out, it's life happens work happens, life happens, work in no real, you know, orderly fashion anymore. And 
maybe the individuals that need that structure and need that focus, they're going to have to find something. And maybe there's a hybrid where it might be 20% of your workforce ends up going to some office that might be shared at some point. I don't know. That'll be interesting because maybe, maybe yeah, it's not for everyone, but hopefully it's for the majority. Yeah, it is a deal solution there would be, you know, the people who need it can have it and the people who don't need it don't have it. So if you could just, you know, make it flexible. So there's right. some people who like the structure, they want to, maybe they want to get away from their homes and be a little more focused and, you know, they'll go in, but everybody else can, can work from anywhere. Right. Yeah, no, I think it's, uh, it's definitely where I think it's trending. I think that's where it's going to end up. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, so let's talk about the future. 2031, it's 10 years out. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I saw I, what I, the world's going to be like. Yeah. Um, I am not the best 10 year vision person. Um, I really like to think more what's right around the corner. Mm -hmm. um, I, unless there's some zombie apocalypse. Well, I hope and not. It, and in 2020, I was like, well, <laughs> this has happened. This has happened. The only other things that, you know, or, or some major shift in climate that changes the way we have to live. It's pretty hard to ignore the fact that software is just going to take over the world. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, you look at the Jetsons way back in the day, we're doing everything the Jetsons were portraying, right? Yeah. I mean, pretty yeah. much. Right. And so, yeah. you know, I think people's consumer homes are going to be, one of the most important things if they're not already in people's lives, because there's just going to be so much more you're going to have to do at your home. Your home is yep. going to be everything. Um, I don't, it's yeah. Uh, energies is going to be interesting. I think it's going to have to be some combo of sustainable new energy yet still kind of relying on some methodology of fossil fuels. It's just, I, there's just going to have to be some form of hybrid until we can, completely change that process if that makes sense. i mean you look at the his, you know what's happening in houston and i mean yeah. it's not supposed to happen in dallas and houston what's happening there but obviously exactly. it happened and we just don't have the infrastructure ready to do that so um yeah um what i might predict is that everyone's as a business is kind of have kind of their own bank. They're going to be their mm -hmm. own bank. Does that make sense? Um, that's what I see is there's just this new way of delivery is going to absolutely be more and more accepted. So not only do you have Neo banks, digital banks and or future sort of uh, products and services, and you can go anything from Bitcoin to no more paper currency to, now, those are kind of obvious to me, but I think embedded financial services for for a for an organization that might be in any industry is gonna it's gonna be right baked in there, and mm. um, and it's gonna be kind of the bank's role to reinvent how we deliver ours. And so, I kind of look at our role as well. If the hypothetically, if if the brick and mortar is the blockbuster of movie deliveries, right? And then it went to maybe today we're kind of somewhere between on-demand services through direct TV or cable, mm -hmm. or now it's kind of 
push a button on your phone and watch a movie through Netflix or all these sort of app-based type solutions. That's how I think banking is going through their journey right now is, all right, traditional bank is the blockbuster. There's still a handful of people that are going to want that experience. It's going to be up to each organization to say, we're not going to do that anymore <laughs> or we're going to do it very limited. And, and um, yeah. it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Um, but yeah, everything's going to be now it's going to be absolute speeds. Everything. I want well, to get to know. It's interesting that you mentioned that. So yeah. are you saying that at some point in the future, we'll, we'll basically eliminate banks as a middleman and then companies will just work with each other. I know that's happening in limited, in limited places now, but do you think it's going to be more like a, it's going to be more of a peer to peer model and we'll eliminate the bank from the, from the center. I don't know. No, I don't think that happens, but what I, well, it could, I mean, Mm. you're talking 10 years out in today's pace of technology. So even how we looked at 10 years ago, maybe a year ago from now, does that make sense? That pace is already. Oh yeah. Yeah. it's, It's absolutely incredible. Um, I think and there there will be a tremendous amount of consolidation in banking. Mm-hmm. Um, I think today there's less than 5,000, you know, well under 2,000, I think, is where it ends up going. Um, tech, if soft, soft, you, so as a bank, we need to be a soft, as banks, as the banking community, I'm, if I'm speaking on all banks, we have to think about how do we be in this fabric of um, not at necessarily delivering, but more of an infrastructure play in terms yeah. of how we can be part of that and, and, and not do it in such a, a way where we have to be in control of it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so platformization, right? It's basically yeah. you're turning yourselves into into a platform and you're allowing people to run things over top of it. So for example, if company A wants to pay company B, they can just do it through the platform instead of having to b- deposit yes. funds in your bank, but uh-huh. they just use you as an API and you're still you're still, you know, part of the part of the framework, mm-hmm. but you don't necessarily need to be in their in their face as a as a brand. 100%. Yeah, I think the yeah. brand Brand importance, I think, is going to be less and less more for banks. And, yeah. and uh, you know, hopefully what we can do behind the scenes is, is uh, be supportive of the other brands that people are passionate about. They're lifestyle brands. Uh, no one gets really super excited about a, a banking brand anymore. Not sure if they ever yeah. did, to be honest. But, um, you know, if I'm super passionate about a lifestyle and then there are brands that are conducive to my lifestyle, then that's what I'm passionate about. And if banks yeah. want to be a part of that, then they have to start serving their products and services in a different way. It's yeah. really what we're all about. I remember, I'm a big fan of the way Elon Musk thinks. And I mm-hmm. listened to a couple things that resonate and he talks very passionately about AI and where it's at and where it's headed and versus the human capacity and, um, he made a comment that said something like, well, if we can't beat AI, we might as well join him a little bit. Yeah. There's some statement he makes there about he has this vision of, I think it's like this neurotransmitter that connects to a, your yeah, the Neuralink. Mm-hmm. The Neuralink. There you go. You know more about yeah. it than I do. Cool. <laughs> but he said something like that and not a quote, but it was completely what I thought about like 
that for us, fintech, right? If we can't beat fintech, then we have to be a part of it. We have to have yep. banks thinking like, fin- we have a lot of fintechs thinking like a bank. There's very few banks that are thinking like a fintech. Yep. And yep. together yep. we got to solve that. We got to solve that together. So our goal is to be a part of it. Our goal is to be able to serve um, the brands that people are passionate about. Um, on the other side of that coin, we hope that if there's some great um, financial institutions that maybe don't know how to do maybe some of the things that, that we've thought of, and um, maybe we can sort of plug in other banks into this platform that we've talked about and um, help, help them come along for the ride as well that way too. So um, we're, we're thinking that way as well. I think there's, there's almost two customer base here for what, how we envision the world and, and uh, it'll be, it'll be interesting. Uh, hopefully there's no more parameters around you can do business here, but you can't do business here type situation. So, you know, our customer base wants to go and into another country and they should just be able to use, they shouldn't have to make any adjustments. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It needs to be global. We're turning it, we're turning it into it. We're we're becoming a global, a global piece of humanity now. Yes. hundred percent agree with you. And what I would love to solve, this is, this is sort of my, my moonshot idea is that if there's a way, I think everyone should have access to financial services, no matter where mm-hmm. you're at. And I don't care. And from a humanitarian perspective, there are parts of this world that, that do not have that infrastructure in place. They do not have access to that. And so if we can, if we can help solve that, as the greater purpose through whatever we're building or a combination of us and some other companies that want to go solve that, that would be amazing. That that's kind of maybe, maybe the last, maybe we should be solving for that today, but what we are building today has that sort of in mind, that capability, that scale. Yes. Yeah. 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 We need to look at, we need to look at for, look at it for all humans, basically, not just no matter where where you're physically at. Right. Exactly. exactly. Really physically, yeah, I agree. Yeah. All right. Well, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much. And yeah, I'll put your fun. contact information in the uh, in the show notes. So if you could send me your bio and any other information, and I'll I'll set that up. So yeah, it was great talking with you. Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, you too. Yeah. If you ever want to talk again, let me know. It was fun. Definitely. Talk to yeah. you soon. All right. Take care. Bye bye. <laughs>